Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I'm sitting here, got a great guest with us today. It's Deacon Michael Stankowitz. I love having deacons Good morning. In, the, uh, in the luxurious corner booth. Uh, welcome, Deacon Michael. Appreciate you being here, taking the time uh, to be with us. Uh, Deacon Michael Stankowitz is the uh, currently the executive director of the Federal Association of the Order of Malta. Uh, that's in Washington. That's where the offices are there, right? That that's right? correct. That's yeah. our headquarters. But you're a permanent deacon in Wilmington, Delaware. That is correct. The right. diocese of Wilmington. Now, how long have you been ordained? Just about two and a half years. All right. So you're a newbie. Very newbie. Yes. I'm not that old bee, but uh, but uh, uh, welcome uh, to this. Uh, to, welcome to Holy Orders. Well, thank you. Right. Thank we you very we much. love having. We love our permanent deacons, and a lot of people don't really know a lot about permanent deacons, as you've probably known just in your uh, couple of years of ordination. You get called father all the time. Right? And we correct that very quickly, <laughs> yeah. believe me. Well, my line is, oh, I'm a father, but not yours. That's right. You <laughs> I know, have to use that and sometimes. That, right. It's a, it's a teaching moment for people to help people understand uh, that, that the permanent deacon is is clergy. That's right. Correct. We're that, not laity. And it, that's that's still an adjustment for a lot of Catholics. Uh, we're still relatively new with uh, after Vatican II when they reinstated the uh, the permanent right. diaconate. So I think the more that we do it and the more that people see us, I think they'll get used to it. Yeah, well, I hope so, uh, because it sounds like we're around for a little while. Uh, and I sure am enjoying being a, a, a deacon uh, I am in too. the church. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful experience. And, and I thought maybe what we should do is talk a little bit about um, your history, where you, where you came from, and you know, where your, uh, uh, your sort of career path, and then how you found your way into the permanent diaconate. Because a lot of people might wonder, well, is that like your full-time gig now, and is that what you do? Uh, obviously, you're the executive director. Uh, the Federal Association of the Order of Malta, that's a, that's a full-time gig right there. And yet, somehow, you're a deacon. That's, that's your, your, your character. It's who you are. Uh, but how did you get there? I mean, because you probably had a, a, a little weaving career path, didn't you? It was definitely a convoluted process. Um, I actually began uh, out of high school studying to be a priest for the Rockville Center Diocese in New York. I'm from New York originally. So, so you, had a, you had a sort of a religious call early on that you just felt drawn somehow to... I thought so. It, it, it's more of a discernment process, especially when you're young. Do, do you really know what you want to do? Right. And I entered a college seminary. And it was a very good experience. Until you got kicked out for uh, shooting craps in the alleyway in the back. Is that? Uh, no, because I was, I was winning so much. And the, the, the faculty didn't like that. Yeah, I understand. All joking aside. <laughs> all joking aside. Maybe do you realize that maybe that wasn't your calling to be a priest at that point? Or? Eventually. I, I actually entered the major uh, theologate after the college seminary. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there for three years. And it was actually a very, very good experience. I ended up uh, being being in a pastoral year, they call it in my diocese. In my my former diocese, you entered as a pastoral associate into a mm-hmm. parish before you became ordained. And it was a wonderful experience, but at that time, I was very young. I didn't think I was called to the priesthood right. and began a, a career, actually, in banking. Banking. So I, I, now that's interesting. Now, did you already have sort of a, a love of finances and numbers and things like that? Or how did you find your way into banking uh, well, f- from having coming from you know, from seminary, essentially. Uh, really two things. One, I always had a, a love for business, we'll say that. Right. 
uh, even in the college and, and in high school, did a lot of business things. But a lay person on my lay support uh, team in the seminary, I started networking, and he had some contacts and did the resumes, and I was looking for any job at that point. Right. Luckily, I landed in a bank, gave me my start. Wonderful. Now, you were in banking for a, a bit of time, were you not? And you kind of rose uh, with a, a, a major... Uh, a major uh, bank, didn't you? Well, I, I was with three different banks. Um, I don't know if I could say Rose. I, I did definitely put in my time. I was in banking for over 20 years. Yeah, but you had that big, you know, office with the VP written on the uh, on the door, didn't you? Very small office, but, <laughs> but, but senior vice president. There yes. you go, SVP. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Uh, but mostly credit card banking. Uh, and it was an exciting time at that point where it was growing. It, it's now gotten to be ubiquitous and right. we've had contraction but it was a it was a fun time actually so you're you're we'll just say successful in in, in a banking career you're doing well in a banking career um at the same time during this time were you still a good faithful catholic or how how what was your faith life like during this time i was fortunate that my faith life always i think was pretty solid i, I always um, did a lot with the, the local parish um, i always kept my my fingers dabbled in but frankly having a career sometimes the faith life got relegated to mostly sundays right. and holidays and so it never took a back seat but it also wasn't always on the front burner to be perfectly frank yeah so we should stop for a second and talk about that because i know there's a lot of folks listening out one of the things that you know as, as deacons we were constantly talking to people in our parishes and and people talking about how busy they are and they they missed mass because they went and did this and they missed mass because of that were you going to mass every sunday were you definitely going to mass every sunday but again, that's probably where the faith life was limited. That was to. it. Um, and some days and, and some weeks, that was enough. Uh, right. Or sometimes it was even tough. That's why I right. think, you know, fast forwarding to the diaconate, now when people tell me how busy they are, I said, let's talk about that. <laughs> I, I've lived that life. <laughs> Thank you for saying it so I, I didn't have to. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate that. So, at uh, this, as you were going along, at some point in your banking career, though, you probably started thinking that. There's there's a need for more. I mean, because a lot of people think that once you get to like senior vice president level, that you're pretty much that's where you're going to retire. You're going to stay there and continue to do this, and maybe you'll take over this other banking division or this division or whatever. That you're now sort of successful in that arena, and that you would you would just sort of like stay there right until until your last dying breath, or you retired, or however that worked out. But something for you, you 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 changed. You moved. I think anyone in whatever business, whatever uh, career you take, if you're working a lot, there's some sort of other yearning, some sort right. of other uh, desire or hunger. And I started hitting that as I hit my 40s, very frankly. The kids were getting a little bit older. My, my two are still young. Uh, one's a teenager, one's not. used to say their names so that on, on the radio. Laura, who's 14, and Olivia, who will be 12. And your, and your proud daddy showed me some pictures, and you're beautiful young girls. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful. So you started thinking, spending time with them. And, and, and the career was 110%. And it was very difficult juggling career, family time. And yet I always had that faith foundation, and that started pinging at me a lot more. There has to be something, because any of us who have been putting on that much time, you're talking about retirement, what else is out there? Right. And I started thinking a lot more, wondering what else I should do. So this idea of being in a permanent deacon, did it come to you while you were in the banking world, or, or were you um, had you thought about it at that point in, in life? Did, did it, in other words, did it gel for you, like, this is what I feel like I'm called to be or to do? It took a while to gel, actually. I, I 
think it was around 2001 that I actually moved from New York, that's where I'm from, to Delaware. I had moved in around 95. Around 2000, 2001, I saw something in one of the diocesan papers about it. And I started to inquire, and actually one of my pastors at the time said, you should call this person. When I called, uh, the program at the time, they said, was every Saturday. And I said, oh, that's just impossible. Right. And so I definitely forgot about it for a now, while. Now, is it impossible because you, you had little kids and you had a family, and but you were very busy as this, uh, you know, 110% uh, in the career? That combination, especially yeah. the kids at the time. I, I just, I, even in 2001, it was only one child. I said, I can't start to be working all during Monday through Friday. And actually, it was Monday through Saturday sometimes. Even though you might be home, there were things to read, things like that. And I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to commit to every Saturday going to a class. Right. right. And I guess we should be clear that, you know, in, in, a, in every different diocese, there's maybe a different way in which they form their, their permanent deacons. Some, when, I, when I was formed, we went every other Saturday for 10 months. <laughs> Uh, and we stayed a long time, right? And and our program has changed. Um, it, it now is assisted by uh, and run by St. Meinrid, right? And um, and so we now our diocese works, uh, it's really once a month, and they're over a whole weekend. So yours, at the time, they were doing was every Saturday. Every Saturday. That's a big commitment. Yeah. And I think in total, it was this, supposed to be the same amount of time as other programs, right. but that's what worked for the diocese. Right. And... But the career was going. So it wasn't definitely the diaconate wasn't on my front burner. Uh, I would fast forward several years. Another class comes. I inquired again, but I still wasn't ready. But right. I was thinking about it that much more. So you're one of those pig-headed people that just the God has to hit you over the head with a two-by-four? Uh, we call it discernment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very but, good. But it, uh, it was a little bit more. Uh, as, as the career kept going on and the kids got a little bit older, I started thinking maybe now's the time. And ironically, the Diocese of Wilmington has the same program you have. It, it's in, run in conjunction with St. Monred, right. and they do it on a full weekend per month. And even when you start out for the diaconate, the first year is about discernment. They, right. You're not just automatically going to become a deacon. Yes, aspirancy. You're, you're aspiring to, to discern, to understand. Exactly. And our diocese does a fantastic job in making you think about all those questions and preparing you for the academics that are going to come. So that first year really, since I had spent some time in the seminary um, early on, that year meant a lot more to me. I knew how mm-hmm. to enter into it, and it was a very good year. And you're never completely done until you're ordained. You yeah. should be always thinking about it, and that's what was good. And my wife yeah, was Yeah, there's very some supportive. guys that come through the program that may spend a couple of years in there, and then at the end of that process, they, they realize that they're not called to be ordained. And, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. It, that's what it's about, whatever God is really calling you to do. Yeah, you don't want to do uh, discernment on the job. That's correct. Because then we can get into all kinds of trouble, and that's mm-hmm. where we have problems. Because if we're, if we're trying to minister to someone and we're not we're not there and we don't realize that that can be problematic and i don't think it means we always have everything all figured out either that's uh, true but we should know that the lifelong commitment of the diaconate and i don't know if everybody understands that once we receive holy orders it's not like we're a volunteer anymore it is a permanent commitment permanent ministry and we have to listen to the bishop they call it the permanent deacon Exactly. Right. And a lot of people will say, they'll say that, they, I know they probably said the same thing to you. So are you going to be a priest eventually? Or, uh, you know, or you didn't quite make it into priesthood. So you had to get you stuck there in the or junior priest. Yes, junior, yes, right. Yes. right. It's none of those things. But, but so now we're going to uh, continue on with your, with your story. Uh, we're going to take a little quick break here. So people have to kind of tune in to see if they if find out if Deacon Michael became a deacon. I think 
the fact that I called you Deacon Michael might tell people uh, the end of that story. That. <laughs> but we have more to tell about your story and that discernment in just a second. Before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. Just imagine what it would have been like to sit at the feet of one of the twelve and hear the gospel proclaimed firsthand from someone who saw, touched, walked, and talked with the Lord Jesus himself. This is just what St. Polycarp did as a student of St. John, the last of the beloved apostles to die. St. Polycarp was Bishop of Smyrna and a very holy man. As a member of the second generation of church leaders, he faced many new challenges, challenges even the original 12 apostles did not face. There were many early heresies, challenges to the truth of Christ and the authority of the church. But above all, St. Polycarp was a man of God, and he faced these challenges head-on his entire life. He was a beacon of truth for the early church. The heretic Marcion, who taught error about the nature, existence, and relationship of good and evil, matter and spirit, challenged St. Polycarp, demanding he recognize his heretical sect. Recognize us, Polycarp, he demanded. St. Polycarp responded, I recognize you, yes, I recognize the son of Satan. St. Polycarp was to give his life in service to the church, just as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A very early document, The Martyrdom of Polycarp, tells the heroic story of his death. When in his 80s, St. Polycarp was arrested, he was offered the opportunity to save his own life if he would simply swear his allegiance to Caesar. To this request, St. Polycarp answered, If you imagine that I will swear by Caesar, you do not know who I am. Let me tell you plainly, I am a Christian. It was ordered that St. Polycarp be burned at the stake. As the fire was lit, witnesses heard a long and beautiful prayer uttered from the mouth of the saint. In part, they heard, Lord God Almighty, I bless you for having made me worthy of this day and this hour. I bless you because I may have a part, along with the martyrs, in the chalice of your Christ. As St. Polycarp said amen, his captors stoked the fire. But it is reported that the fire did not burn him. It miraculously formed an arch around him, causing him to resemble what the martyrdom document says was gold and silver glowing in a furnace. They finally had to stab him to death. St. Polycarp's feast day is February 23rd. I'm Bestrozemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting here with Deacon Michael Stankowitz, permanent deacon from the uh, uh, Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware, and the executive director of the Order of Malta, 
Federal Association. And um, I, I, I guess we have to make a disclaimer here. And the Order of Malta supports this program. So I want people to know that as favorable I, as I am of you, Deacon Michael, uh, I think also uh, the fact that you work for the Order of Malta is a good thing. And we have to say that to let Very everyone good. know that all this goodness is it, it is drilled genuine. I, I, I do like you. So that part's good. And I know you were worried about that because you were thinking I was one of the most obnoxious radio hosts that would now turn that question that trick question on you well the interview's not done yet is it now? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. we're not finished yet <laughs> well so where where we are in, in your story you know you've you've gone through this point we have fairly successful banking career and mm-hmm. did pretty well for yourself and you could have very easily stayed there and done done all of that and you were kind of still maybe thinking you were going to do that but there was also this tug to be more involved in church to be more involved in your family to see to see that faith part of your life sort of blossom a little bit more um, do you know why that was? Do you do you get a sense why what, was the banking not fulfilling? Or I, I'm I'm just curious. I just, well, I think you know God always plants those seeds in you. Uh, but I will say, at a certain point in the career, when banks are getting merged and taking over, right. you are putting in a tremendous amount of hours, and you are working hard. And of course, you want to support your family. But you are, at least for me, I was always wondering: Is there something more that right. I should be? What doing? What am I putting those hours into? Because obviously you didn't, uh, uh, you didn't come into the permanent diaconate to lessen your hours. <laughs> That's exactly right. But at one point they they began a new program in, uh, or they started to talk about a new program in Diocese of Wilmington, and I went for a um, an information night, right, and took home the information, and I discussed it with my wife. I said, "Do you mind if we try?" And I said, we because it does, as you know, take a lot from your wife. And oh, support. she has to be committed to the same process, or at least to understand that that's what you're getting ready to do. So I uh, applied. Did she ask you why? I don't think so. Uh, I don't remember that because I had been close to the church continually, as I mentioned. Uh, Some of my best friends are priests. One happens to be a bishop now. Um, So I've always kept that contact. I just didn't do it as much as I probably wanted to. Uh, so we applied, and uh, actually, uh, my wife is also part of the interview process. Right. And the first year is what they call aspirin. She could have tanked you, right? She could have very well <laughs> tanked me, all throughout the whole process, frankly. <laughs> and uh, what we ended up doing, going through the aspirin year, where the wives attend, and they have to answer questions, right. too. So it was a very, very good year. And then I ended up getting accepted into the academic piece, and I was still in banking at that time. But what it did was it changed to the St. Mondrad program that we had mentioned, right. where it was one full weekend a month, and that was much more manageable right. from Time a family wise. standpoint. See, yeah. that's where the Lord works. I think sometimes people think, well, I can't do this, and you can come up with all these reasons why you can't do something. And I was always amazed in my own situation. At the time, I had seven kids when I was being formed into the diaconate. And there were people who actually thought that I would never be ordained because I had too many obligations, too many things. And yet it was amazing how the Lord just kind of made all these different things kind of work out that the sort of path would be cleared, all obstacles be wiped away. And we ended up, um, in hindsight, looking at it, we missed fewer classes than any any other couple. Um, in our mm-hmm. case, we had to have the, the, the couples went the entire time. And, uh, and I think that was just the Lord kind of making something happen, making clear the path. Well, and we all have the different paths. I think you mentioned uh, all your children. I only had the two, but I also wanted to do it while the children were young to a certain extent. I wanted to be a permanent deacon having a foot in that part of the, the, the I'll call it the real world. Yeah. And that's not always easy. Um, but And I had some classmates who had young children as well. 
And it was a different juggling. Uh, we had our regular careers, our outside world, plus then the, the studies. And the studies can be challenging at times. Yeah, uh, I understand. But we should stop for a second and talk about this idea. And, and what you say is actually spot on. And one of the things I, I, I love to encourage in men who have families, active, you know, they got a job, they got financial issues, they've got, uh, they got all the obligations, they have uh, sometimes very young children. And a lot of people think, well, as soon as that's all gone... And I'm, I'm in my retirement nest egg, and it's just me and the little woman, and we have this big empty house. Now I'm going to give my time to God and to the church. And I, I'm not saying that you should never do that, but what I am saying is that there's a great value, don't you think, uh, in having kids at home? And, and does it not help your, your preaching, your teaching, your speaking, and make you sort of more relevant maybe to your parishioners because you've got a family? It keeps you very humble as that, well. Uh, they, uh, the, the children usually don't really care that you're the permanent deacon. They just see you as dad. Right. So um, it does help your preaching because you have to be a little bit uh, uh, more relevant, as you said, and also quicker because right. they time you sometimes. <laughs> uh, but I do think. But everyone has to follow their own path. I, I think what we should encourage uh, guys who are interested, though, that it doesn't mean you can't. That's uh, right, and that's all important. That's yeah. the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. I, I, God calls people at different ages all the time. I totally understand that. Let's look at Moses and Abraham, right? You know, so mm-hmm. it's the, these are examples of, of some very old deacons. You know, yes, definitely. And I guess the point is, uh, but there are many people who will use that excuse, like, "Well, I've got a, I've got a young family, and I, and I don't want to, uh, I don't, I can't be a deacon yet until." And in some cases, that may be true, mm-hmm. uh, but the reality is, I, I think it's helped me so much having. I mean, not only just for good homily material, you know, telling the stories about my kids, but the reality is I think people have approached me, and maybe they do for you as well, when they're having marital difficulties or, or problems or issues with children, because they know you might understand. It's because you've got one foot in both worlds, don't you? Exactly. You see that you're, you're clergy, and yet you're, you're tied very uh, uh, profoundly to, to the lay world through your wife and your kids. And, and we, they give us a lens, let's face it, um, that some f- other people wouldn't have meaning they're watching different television shows we're listening to different music we don't agree on some of the music it's it's on the radio in the car all of that i think goes into who we are as deacons um i'd also say though for our wives there's all different uh, different ways the wives handle it Mm -hmm. Uh, my wife um she's a, a registered nurse but her role is to take care with me the children she doesn't do as much in the parish as some other wives and that's okay and that was a struggle at first for her when we did meet some people who the wives were very very integral to the ministry my wife currently is not and that's okay and we we have a very uh, very good director of deacons who worked through with us on all of that and that's why it you're never it's a five-year program with saint minred and most dioceses, you're never committed until you have to get the ordination or go to ordination. That's right. So it's always that discernment, what is working. Um, even when I was still working for the bank at the time, it was amazing that you said the way God works, I was always able to get to the weekends somehow. Awesome. And we had that first year, the worst snowstorms in Delaware that you can imagine. The wives, the, the second year I had a new snowblower, let me put it that way, because <laughs> it was very, very bad. You are now in the program. Right, and you are going through formation and sort of continuing this ongoing discernment. Which, once you become a candidate, though, that's another level where you've pretty much decided. I think this is what God's calling me to. You still have the option to, to resign or not to be ordained at the end of this process. And your wife is kind of um, along with you in the sense that she's praying for you and she's working with you through all of this as well. Now, did you stay in the banking at that point, and did you move to, to shift your career? Well, I did as close to a 180 as 
probably can happen. <laughs> uh, a job opened up actually in the Diocese of Wilmington for the family life director. And I looked at the ad that they had. And very frankly, I thought it was a small diocese. I didn't know how big the job could right. be. But it looked like I had done some of that work back when I was in the seminary. And uh, I talked to a friend about it. And it was one of those things where I, I really thought and prayed about it. Uh, I had to talk to my wife a lot about it because it became a career switch. And it was a difference um, in a lot of ways. And I figured, well, let me try. Uh, if it doesn't work out, um, that means I'm not meant to get the job. Well, it worked out, and I did get the job. Awesome. And that was about a year and a half in, I guess, into uh, the diaconal training. And that helped me put really anchor everything else together. Right. Um, but there's a job there, too. A lot of hours, different kind of hours when you work right. for a diocese. And then uh, along the way, um, I also then became the diocesan director for religious education. Right. And so it was a progression there. And hours are different. Um, it, was, it was a very good career uh, there. Uh, we have a very supportive bishop. Gave me the opportunity to work even more closely with the, uh, the, the director of deacons. Uh, right. It was very, very good. But it was, as I said, close to a 180 because you go from doing pure financials, uh, marketing, right. products, too. But, you know, there's a lot of relevancy, too, in trying to uh, promote the gospel. Sure, and care of souls. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So not so much the numbers, although you had to be aware of the numbers, That's right? Because right. that was important. Yeah. Uh, every diocese knows that the importance of the finances, et cetera. But, um, so interesting. So you were sort of drawn even closer. Now you're really sort of in a uh, full-time kind of a ministerial world or church world, which would be vastly different, as you said, 180 degrees from the other. Um, and so what was what was ordination like? I was uh, fortunate. Uh, they decided to ordain me a year early. Mm-hmm. And the reason being was a lot of the academics for the last year in the program, I had gotten my uh, my graduate level work. Right. And so it was a really it was a nice time. And the bishop had said, we can ordain you early. And so I was fortunate to actually get ordained in my own parish. And it was a, awesome. a nice ceremony uh, where friends and family was a little bit more intimate. And uh, that was about two and a half years ago. And uh, you haven't looked back and said, you know, this was a mistake. Never said a mistake. Will I say it's challenging? <laughs> yes. Um, but it's wonderful. It is rewarding. Um, it's more rewarding each year, each day, in the sense of you're getting more acclimated to the people. They're getting more acclimated to you. Uh, the more you get to know people and they see you in that ministerial role, right. it's just very, very rewarding. Yeah, but it's also humbling, too, isn't it? Because everyone thinks, like, well, you, you did that so that you'd have some kind of power and authority. And every deacon knows uh, There's we, none. we assist at Mass, <laughs> right? Yes. We, we, we're always helping the, 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 the pastor, yes. right? We're, we're serving the bishop. It's, it's, uh, and the, the whole idea of uh, diaconos, the whole idea of that the, word in service, serve, minister. To serve. And that's what we're there to do, is to help out in any way. Um, and we all have uh, a, a, a different ways we do that in the parishes. I'm blessed with some fellow uh, deacons in my parish, and uh, we all do things a little bit differently. We do baptisms, weddings, preparations. But we're there to assist uh, the, the priest and the bishop. That's so beautiful. And we are so blessed to have had you here to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your your journey. And to just encourage anyone listening, if they're thinking about something like this, that they would want to check into it and see how uh, rewarding it might be and, and uh, what what place it might play in their faith lives as well. Deacon Michael Stankowitz, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank really you appreciate for the opportunity. It. Well, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the gifts and blessings you've given us. 
And in a particular way, we thank you for the gift of your Son, whom you sent to die for our sinfulness, and so to reconcile us to you for all eternity. Help us through your Son, and by the promptings of your Spirit, to seek you at all times. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.